Welcome to the Catholic Connect Podcast. I'm your host, David Scubin. This is a podcast for all Catholics and people of goodwill who strive to live in the world, but not be of the world. First and foremost, we need to be disciples of Jesus ourselves. And then we go forth and make disciples of all nations, just as our Lord commanded. Through a series of timely topics and great guests, we will take that long and narrow journey to heaven together, encouraging each other in faith and virtue along the way. So let's get started. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. I'm uh, so blessed to be joined by a lifelong Catholic and a lifelong resident of Wild Rose Country, Alberta. He's a business owner and very active in the church community in Edmonton, also has his business in the Edmonton area as well. But most importantly, he's got such a great passion for uh, his family, uh, his wife Colleen and their seven children, and his Catholic faith. So I'm so excited to welcome uh, my friend and most importantly, our brother in Christ, Tony LaGrange. Thanks for catching up to us here on the podcast, Tony. How are you doing? Excellent. Glad to be here. Glad to, uh, glad to chat. I always like to chat. <laughs> That's great, man. Thank you very much. So, boy, we're living in some interesting times, aren't we, Tony? It's, uh, uh, I guess, first and foremost, how are things with, uh, with your family and uh, how are things with business right now for you? You know, uh, remarkably well. Um, my whole family's doing well. I've got uh, a new little grandbaby. Well, she's a year old now, but uh, I'll tell you what, uh, that just is an exciting time. Uh, when you when you have a grandchild, that's an exciting time. I, I always say it's this new little person who you can claim full ownership of and no responsibility for. Is that the great thing about grandparents, eh? They can spoil them and feed them with candy and send them home, right? They don't have to worry about those uh, long nights. They'll be back to the parents. Actually, that's great, Tony. I didn't even, I think you told me that a while ago, but I'd I'd totally forgotten about that, uh, that you and calling your grandparents now. That's, uh, that's beautiful. And how are things going with it with business? I, this is a challenging time. I know, I know first and foremost, probably we're, we're both happy to be working and employed and, there's something to be said for what Pope John Paul II said, where work is people's dignity, right? And it uh, yeah. uh, gives you a purpose in life. It gives you something to strive for, just like our, our spiritual life as well, and, and striving towards heaven. Um, how are things yeah. on that uh, that end of things for you, Tony? I couldn't be happier. I mean, business is is going along. I mean, we're not. It's not. Uh, you know, we're not going to break any records this year, but. Um, we're, we're still taking orders and we're still keeping everyone busy. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm just pleased that that's the case. I didn't know what to make of it. In the spring, I, I wouldn't have predicted where we'd be in the fall. And I, I kind of had an idea that by now we'd have been done with this whole nonsense. But uh, I thought the fallout from it would continue for a while. Um, so since we're still in the thick of a pandemic, uh, I don't even know if we're in the fallout stage or we're uh, we're still waiting for that. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, we'll see. Uh, you know, it is what it is. You you start each day anew and see what happens. Well, that's just the thing. There's just so much uncertainty, and and uh, it's really changed the way that that uh, we interact, even as as business people as well. And and uh, unfortunately, it's starting mm-hmm. to catch up to to us in the church as well. And it seems like such a long time ago, as we're recording this right now, it's uh, November of 2020, and this all started back in March. And uh, yeah. I guess the, the most important role for us 
in the church for as Catholics is, is to bring souls to Christ. And, and uh, you know, I think that the, the pandemic is, it's affecting us spiritually for sure. But when you have that pressure of, of not knowing what the future is with your job and that uncertainty, um, you know, there's trust in God for sure that we have, but we're certainly seeing a, it seems like there's a, a little more hopelessness in the world. There's, there's a lot more um, uh, people struggling with, with mental uh, ups and downs of, uh, of the reality that we're in right now. Uh, have you kind of been seeing that as well with maybe some of uh, some of the, the employees that work with you or even just some of uh, the people in the business circles that you're around? Yeah, it's interesting at, at the start of it all, when there was so much uncertainty, um, the, the consensus for sure amongst all of our staff was that they were more worried about their job than they worry than they were worried about the virus. So that, that was number one on everyone's mind is what's going to happen in my job. Are we going to stay open or are we, uh, you know, an essential business? Are we a non-essential business? Do we have to close? Will people still buy things? Is the, <laughs> is the economy going to completely crash? I think that was, that was the biggest fear everyone had. I, I, nobody was really worried. Am I going to get, am I going to get sick? Not around here. They, they were more worried for sure about their job. Yeah, I think that's the same thing with uh, with us too, and a lot of the people that I was chatting with. And at the beginning, guys, you know, we're certainly not denying that there's a there's a virus out there. But as we look back in the rearview mirror and even look ahead, it does seem that um, you know it um, it picks on the people that uh, that are elderly, which is which is tough. And it also yep. seems to go to people that already have some pre-existing medical conditions. Um, as for the rest of us, uh, you know, we're trying to try, trying to adapt as best we can, but uh, it's certainly leading to a lot of uncertainty for sure. And, and, um, and we're seeing that in the church too, uh, Tony, like you said, you know, the, the first and foremost, our role as Catholics is to, to bring people to God. But when they shut down our parishes, I, I say shut down, I mean, we just couldn't go to mass, which is, I guess, in a sense, that's shutting it down. We did have some masses, but boy, it was really difficult, Tony, for myself and I'm, I'm sure you might have some thoughts on this too, but to not go to mass at Easter time over this was, uh, it was a real shame, wasn't it? Oh, you know, it, it was the worst of it. Um, honestly, I, I can't think of a time in my life when I missed mass on a Sunday and then this thing struck and it was just like a long string of like, there, there was no mass and, and, you know, it was weird gathering you know, the whole family around my laptop on our uh, kitchen island and, you know, watching, watching mass on Sunday. And uh, I remember it was a trick to try to get everybody to kneel during the consecration when we're watching mass. And like, you know, one of my boys going, dad, like we're kneeling at it toward a computer. Like, like it's silly. And I said, like, you know what? Um, there's masses being there's mass being said somewhere. If it if it makes you feel better, you can turn and face toward the basilica downtown and <laughs> yeah, like the old like, school way, Tony. Eh? When the bells rang and you'd uh, you'd say the yeah. uh, uh, your devotions with the uh, the Angelus, right? At certain times, yeah. you you turn toward a different direction. Yeah, it's absolutely very difficult to be in front of a TV or a computer and have it feel oh. the same way. And it's and it's just not right. I mean. No. Spiritual communion is something that's been encouraged in the church for, for many years. It's uh, I think some people actually think it's a new phenomenon now because of this pandemic and people staying at home. 
But yeah. uh, the encouragement was actually for us to to receive spiritual communion several times a day, not just uh, you know when when you can't go to mass for whatever reason. So um, yeah. you know it's uh, it's challenging for sure. I think that it seems like we've got a lot of work now, Tony, doesn't it? We had a lot of work to do before uh, bringing people back into into church, and now it seems like we're we've taken a few steps back and. You know, talking to a few priests, I said, but, you know, how is it? How is it looking for confessions, and how is it looking for, um, you know, for mass attendance? And sometimes mass attendance is is okay. It's definitely down a little bit, but you know, they said when it comes to confession, you know, it's it's not great now, but it wasn't great before either. No, and I, but I do think this, in some ways, has sort of changed people's perspectives a little, and maybe in a good way. It's sometimes it's easy to take for granted something that's always there. And I think you certainly appreciate the beauty of a liturgy when you've been sort of sitting at home watching a computer screen on Sunday. And now even with the churches open again, with the liturgy being so stripped down with no music and, and, and then we finally in our parish have uh, music and a canter. And it's still, it's just not the same, you know, you realize, you realize there's, there's good reason because we're sort of programmed to respond to beautiful things and beautiful things elicit an emotion and, and put us in a state of mind. And, and I think if you, if you really maybe get to the, the bottom of it is that the most perfect, beautiful thing to behold would be God. And so anything that kind of gives us some sense of, I don't know, beauty and perfection brings us in some way closer to God or, or sort of gives us a, that glimpse of God. And, and so I think it's really important that our churches become beautiful spaces. And, and maybe this is the impetus we needed to get back to beautiful churches, beautiful artwork, beautiful music, you know, and, and rich liturgies. Well, that's an interesting, very interesting point, Tony. I think that uh, I was going to read a, a quote here from, from Pope Benedict. And I believe he said this back, well, it was before he was Pope. I'm not sure if he was already a Cardinal at the time or not, but um, the essence of what he was saying was that the church he, he could foresee that it was going to become smaller. And uh, I always thought that that was, when I read it first, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, I thought, man, this is, uh, I don't want this to happen. I don't want the church to become smaller, right? I mean, we've come a long way here in the last 2000 years. But now as I get older and I kind of see the way the church is, is changing, uh, not necessarily for the better. Uh, obviously the church never changes. The teachings never change, but you know, the people around them change and, the way we celebrate our liturgy has changed a lot, right, Tony? And I was going to read this here. Uh, so this is from Pope Benedict. And like I said, he was Cardinal Ratzinger at the time. And so it seems certain to me that the church is facing very hard times. The real crisis has scarcely begun. We will have to count on terrific upheavals. But I'm equally certain about what will remain at the end. Not the church of the political cult, which is dead already, but the church of faith. She may well no longer be the dominant social power to the extent that she was until recently, but she will enjoy a fresh blossoming 
and be seen as man's home, where he will find life and hope beyond death. I really like that that quote a lot, yeah. Tony. Um, and I think uh, very prophetic, given that was several decades ago. And uh, wanted to bring that to light too, because uh, Pope Emeritus is is getting up in age, and and uh, he's such a blessing, I think, to our church, uh, even though he's not obviously on the the uh, the seat of Peter right now. But uh, I think his prayers are so efficacious to all of us. But yeah, to your point, Tony, you know, you, you think of of beauty and. We've really lost a lot of that. It seemed to be, even with the way our church buildings have been designed, right? You look at the the old school cathedrals, and uh, and we have we have a very nice one in Edmonton at St. Joseph's. But you look at some of the European churches and basilicas, and um, you know, there's something beautiful about just looking at them from the outside. And then when you go inside, it really does remind you that we're in the presence of God. And and how important is it really for us to have that reminder through architecture for sure through statues through paintings but also through liturgy what are your thoughts on that yeah it's funny because you know you mentioned pope benedict colleen was in rome with a friend of hers the, the when he when he announced that he was going to step down and the night before he made that announcement they were outside his uh you know his papal apartment and her friend was like shouting like you know calling out his name trying to get his attention and uh so they were joking that like you know these canadian women yelling at him and like say that's enough i'm out of here and uh but you know they were there touring around looking at all this beautiful artwork and beautiful architecture and buildings and um they were taking a tour with um the friend that she was with her son at the time he was a seminarian studying in rome and so he'd lived there for a bit and he took them around and showed them a few sites and got them into some places that you don't normally get and um you know there's tourists crawling all over the place and and most of the art that they're drawn to they don't even realize it's architecture and art that was commissioned by the church for for the purposes of you know edifying the faithful to to give them something to meditate on and 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 now what is it all these years later people are still going flocking there to look at this stuff and don't even know why they just know it's it's great art and somehow we lost that somehow we lost the church being the kind of the institution that brought us great art and then commissioned great art and we became almost, especially in Western Canada, I think, pragmatic to the point of um, a fault where we build churches that are functional, but they're not beautiful. And it takes a commitment to build a beautiful church. It takes, you've got to get people behind the idea. And uh, I was just, uh, Colleen was actually reading a couple of days ago to Judah, who's in grade five, uh, from a little art program that she's doing with him for her homeschooling. And it's about architecture and the cathedral in Chartres, France. And you look at that cathedral, it's just beautiful. And they built it in record time. And it was to replace the cathedral that had burned, which was also beautiful. And um, the when they built those, churches it wasn't like they had a 
you know, a, a massive population and, and, you know, little people could just give a little bit and, and uh, they could put something like that together. People had to make sacrifices. People had to work hard. People donated their, their time and their talents. People came and worked on it. And now it's become a very sterilized sort of approach where we, we just expect, well, I don't know, somebody's going to, an architect's going to design it and they'll build it. And it, it's got to have, you know, enough pews and it's got to have a, a hall so that we can have a place to have coffee. And it's, you know, there's not a whole lot of, I don't know, a, a whole lot of effort put into the beauty of the building. And that is changing. There's no doubt about it. I've seen some newer churches, the church out in, uh, Spruce Grove Stony Plain is a good example of a more recent church that was actually, you know, took a took a shot at making a church beautiful again. And yes. I like it. It's one of the nicer churches, certainly for anything built since probably, uh, who knows, maybe the 50s that, that made you go like, yeah, there's a church instead of wondering if it was just some other community center or something, you know, just because it has a cross on it doesn't make it a beautiful building. Well, absolutely. And we, we'd seen examples of that, um, you know, not recently, you know, thank the Lord, not recently, but you know, there, there were instances in our, in our area here in Western Canada where you could go to a Catholic church and it'd be very hard to find a crucifix. Right. And mm. the sign of the cross and the crucifix are just such beautiful um, symbols and, images of our faith and who we follow in our Lord. It's, um, I, I don't want to say that ecumenism is bad. Ecumenism is good, but there is such thing as a, as a false ecumenism, right, Tony? Like, and I think if you look back to, and I, I, let's, let's go stick with the, the subject of churches and, and architecture and design. It's like we had to, like beauty was almost intimidating to people, you know, to walk into a, a big cathedral or even a, even a church, you know, another great church too, Tony, that I was thinking of is in Mournville, not very far from us at all, but that Catholic yeah. church there is, uh, you know, in a lot of places that'd be considered a, like a little basilica of some sort. It is beautiful. Lots of great artwork there, yeah. but it's like we were, we had so much beauty that it was, um, we were, I don't know if it was the right word is, is afraid, but certainly we tried to take that away to make people feel maybe more comfortable with coming in. And I don't know if that's a reflection of the way society was going and, and, uh, and the way people's souls were and the state of their souls, but we really took a lot of that beauty away. And I think it was in the name of ecumenism to reach out to, to other non-Catholics to, to say, Hey, this is something you can feel comfortable with coming in and seeing, but yeah. it's really that the, the results are the opposite, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, um, people need to be inspired to, I don't know, something bigger than themselves. Uh, I remember when when my kids were little, we we went to a, uh, a Catholic conference in uh, in St. Louis, and St. Louis has this beautiful cathedral that has um, mosaic artwork, and it's one of the largest collections of mosaic artwork all over the walls, and it's it's really quite beautiful, and it's a nice cathedral. It's a great place to be, and so we're there, and the mass starts, and we were there for Corpus Christi. And uh, the mass begins and they, they have a full choir up in the choir loft and the big organ starts to play. And I think, you know, my kids, their experience had been, you know, sort of a very Western Canadian, you know, uh, 
playing church experience up to that point. And the music starts and the choir starts to sing and, and the church is filled with sound. And, it, and it's just, it's a beautiful thing. And my daughter who was, I can't even remember how old at the time, maybe something like, you know, six or seven years old. She looks up at me and she's got her eyes wide and she says, dad, I feel like I'm in heaven. And I thought like, yeah, yeah, that's what's supposed to happen when you go to church. You know, we're supposed to be having an encounter with the heavenly and you need a place that sort of reminds you that that's what's happening. It seems like that silence where we can actually just sit down and, and, and listen to, to holy music, to listen even just to our, our own uh, conversation with God and, and listening to hear what God has to say to us, right? It's, uh, it's speak Lord, your, your servant is listening, but uh, it's not, uh, it's not the other way around, right? We need to um, listen and have that, that holy silence, right? And, and I know that even the, the Basilica in Edmonton here before the, the virus hit here, it, just going there and then they'd have the organ music playing and uh, yep. even just hearing that organ music, just filling up the church, it just brought you, it was anything but a distraction. You know, music now is, it's a distraction or it's, it's a way to take you out of reality almost. And, and there it was, uh, it wasn't a distraction at all. It just brought you into that, that prayerful setting to say, you know, yeah, we're, we're here for something a lot greater than ourselves. And, and we're, we're on our, we're on a journey to somewhere that, uh, you know, um, no, uh, no ear has heard and no eye has seen. Right. And, um, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really interesting. And it's, it's interesting that children pick that up too, don't they? You know, the innocent children, they pick that up faster oh, yeah. than adults and say, hey, this is, there's something special about this, right? Yeah, to see the world through children's eyes is uh, something that a uh, person should do, you know, once a week or so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, we're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, some, I mean, some negative trends in the church. I think that that there's opportunity here for sure, but we're we're seeing a lot of a lot of stuff that's uh, that's negative and a lot of a lot of drawbacks, a lot of setbacks in our church right now. And you know, we just seen uh, as we're recording this it was only a week ago that in in Nice, France, uh, you know, um, there's a, a, a radical radical Muslim that um, uh, an extremist, I guess, that uh, that murdered three of our our fellow Catholics right in a church, right in a Catholic church. Yeah. Um, you see, uh, you know, Ireland infamously, they, they voted for abortion, Tony. I think that's the only country I can think of that actually went out of their way to put something on a ballot, like abortion rights and voted yeah, in favor of it. Um, just that you know, day, especially for me, my, my mother was right. born in Dublin and I, yeah. uh, I have, I have dual citizenship. So, uh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I should have, uh, I guess I should have gone back and voted. <laughs> Isn't it? But, you know, we were talking about Catholic Ireland and I think everybody, a lot of the, the church around the world said, you know, that that's a, it's a real bastion of Catholicism, a bastion of truth. And then when we see something like this happen, it, it uh, really sets you back. And in my background, Tony, is Slavic. Uh, and mm-hmm. when I see what's happening in Poland right now, and I think this this hits a little closer to my heart and probably yours too, because what a lot of the protests are about in Poland is because the government there uh, passed some legislation to make abortion um, even more rare. Uh, and it was uh, mm-hmm. specific to protect uh, the unborn against fetal defects, including Down syndrome, with, which are 
our little Emily has, and uh, she's just such a blessing to us. And I know that you have so a son that has special needs, but you know, I don't, I, and I'm sure you probably echo this, but you know, these children, they, all children bring us closer to God, but when you have one that just needs a little extra attention, boy, that it's, uh, it, it's kind of like that rocket fuel to get you closer to God. And they sure teach us a lot more than we teach them. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. It is, um, it's an absolute blessing to a family to have a child with special needs in your home that uh, it challenges everybody and it makes you sort of step up your game. And I mean, let's face it, we, we need most of the time a, a kick in the pants and uh, you need something that kind of, I don't know, sort of knocks you out of your complacency and makes you have to work a little bit. Everything you work at counts for something. and. Uh, you know, I always say with, with my son, Levi, he's um, because, because of his difficulties, he really doesn't know right from wrong and he's not really culpable. And so technically he's, he's a little saint, right? He's, he's really not capable of sin. So I say like, you know, what's it like to live with a saint? Well, there's days when they inspire you and there's days when they challenge you (laughs) and uh you know you got to be ready for whatever kind of day it's going to be when it's a challenge you got to rise to the challenge and if you do it just makes you a better person and i feel bad i feel bad for people that um sort of deny themselves that opportunity and and don't think that they could raise their game or don't think that they could rise to the challenge of sort of being radically available to another human being. And I think having, having souls like that in the world are so important. I think it's, I think it's what we're missing and lacking too. You know, there's some hard data just back to, to children with down syndrome, how many um, of these, these uh, children that, uh, cause they have technology now that can, uh, detect whether a child has Down syndrome or not, and we we know that there's countries that have pretty much tried to eradicate these children just based on an extra chromosome. And so when I see something like this happening in Poland, I mean it's not just Down syndrome; it's it's other these they call them you know defects, uh, you know a physical defect yep. or a chromosomal defect. Or, but um, you know, Tony, there's um, when it comes to spiritual warfare. There's there's some Catholic experts that, that talk about the you know, the value of, of, of virgins, consecrated virginity. And uh, maybe we can talk about this on another podcast because it would be a big, big topic here. But the gist of it is that there's a lot of power in priests and nuns and sisters, like the consecrated, celibate, pure soul, that uh, the devil can't stand that because it's such, mm-hmm. it's, it's the opposite of, of what the world says, right? And it's, it's saying that there's something greater. You know, we talked about, churches and, and beauty and and that's uh that's a gift to our church too is having these consecrated priests and nuns that have that have given up uh maybe a, a life where they could get married and do other things and there's nothing wrong with with a catholic or a, you know a christian marriage a sacramental marriage but i also look at these these children like this and these these people that have that are special needs they they're they're kind of similar to that they may not be priests and nuns but they that purity of heart is um uh, it's of inf- in, 
uh, incalculable value to our church, and we're missing on that, aren't we? And and to our world too. You know, uh, when my son was in junior high school, um, the, the teacher asked me to come and talk to the class, uh, the religious class, religion class about um, inclusion, because they they tried to have a real inclusive uh, program in the school for kids with special needs. They they had them, you know, in the regular classes and and. Uh, and I felt pretty strongly about it, you know, that they should, they should be there and the kids should be exposed to that. And um, so she said, Hey, would you come and like give a talk about inclusion? And so I said, sure. And, and what I told the kids was that you, you think at, at first glance that by offering an inclusive program like this, that you're, you're doing something good for those kids with special needs because you're welcome, welcoming them into your world in a sense and, and letting them be part of the community and the life that you have. But, but in reality, it's the opposite. They are giving you a great gift by being here and you get to experience how they experience life. And for most of us, and especially when you're in junior high school, um, you have a lot of fear. You have a lot of worries every day about like what do people think about my hair and my shoes and and what do, what do, do i need to say the right thing do i need to have the right friends um and and there's a lot of stress and a lot of kids feel a lot of pressure at that age but here they see these kids that that they're around that have special needs who really see the world in a totally different way they say what they're thinking and they they're friends with who they want to be friends with they say hello to anybody they they have a freedom they have a freedom that that typical kids could only hope for that they're not bound up with all these fears about this that and the other thing and they become kind of a bit of a bright light and they make people smile and they appreciate simple things and and laugh at at you know find, I don't know, joy in the simple things. So I said, like, you think you've learned something from them. But I, when I was their age, um, the kids, any kids with special needs, they didn't even, they didn't even come to our school. They had a special school that they sent them to. They, they rode on their own bus to that school. But because I lived in the, in the country on a farm, we had uh, the county buses that would pick us up from a central location. And so all the kids from even the different school divisions would come to a central place and the county buses would take everybody home. So the kids from this school for special needs would also come there and get on their various buses. And there was a bus next to ours and there was a family that had like, I think three or four kids, all with special needs in the same family. And they were all on that bus. And one of the guys, Gary, his name was, he, um, you know, he, his coordination wasn't good. His speech wasn't great. He's kind of a bigger guy. And um, he came waiting for the bus one day and a couple of kids were standing there and they were kids that I knew standing waiting for the bus. And they said something to him. I can't remember what they insulted him or, you know, teased him. And he got mad and came and they ran away. So he came and he grabbed me because I was standing there and he got me in a headlock. And he was a big guy and I, and I was scared. I was honestly like, I, I mean, I honestly would say at that time that those kids, I was scared of them because I didn't know 
yeah. and they put him in a separate school. They didn't like, they didn't have him around us. So there must be some reason that they weren't around us. So he got me in a headlock and, uh, I, I didn't know what to do. I said to him, Gary, why, why do you have him in a headlock? <laughs> and he said like, you know, it's cause you guys were, you know, teasing me or something. And I said, I didn't say anything to you. And I, I don't have anything bad to say to you. And he let go of me and just started to talk to me. And we had a kind of a conversation. And after that, he was like my best buddy. He'd see me and he'd like say hi and he'd come to talk to me. And it was like, hey, he's just, he's just a person, right? And uh, I think because they kept him separate, you know, I was scared of the guy for some reason and didn't know why. And um, so I, I told the kids in the junior high that, you know, they have a, what they're receiving is a great gift to see that there's this joy you can experience in another person and to see that they really, they really know what it means to be human, to be fully human. They don't have those fears that, that we have that stop us from like living, stop us from being what, it, what God wants us to be. So I said, you, uh, you great, you have this great opportunity to see what it's like to be fully human. And, uh, and I, and I say to them someday, you know, and, and I said, you'll see that like people like me that were, that were raised at a time when we were taught to be scared or maybe not intentionally taught to be scared, but we were taught to be kind of fearful of those people that now that people like me are, are making laws that go like, oh, well, like it's better if they're not around. And they don't understand that the world is a better place with them because we understand what it means to be human and to, to be fully human. So I said, you, soon enough, you guys will be old enough to be making the laws in this country. You'll be the judges and the lawyers and the politicians, and it'll fall on you to teach the older generation that, that got it wrong that um, we have nothing to fear. Like these are beautiful people and they, you should, you should protect them and you should encourage them to be around you. And uh, so I, I really feel strongly that, that we will see a change based a lot on, on that. The fact that kids are exposed to it and see that, you know, Hey, these are, these are people, they have, they have, you know, feelings. They have joys. They have they have a lot to offer. They have an remind, awful lot. Absolutely. It reminds me that when Jesus in the Bible, when he uh, he said, "Let the little ones come to me," and it's I always think of that as not just children. But he said that you must be you must be like children in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. And um, yeah, it just reminds me of that and and how. Yeah. how we need to be and how we need to be accepting. And, and again, it's uh, with, with folks like this and, and kids like this, especially they, they love unconditionally. You know, that was the mm-hmm. thing we recently, uh, Joey Moss, who a lot of people know, he recently passed away and he had down syndrome and he worked for the two professional sports teams in Edmonton. And, and that's what people kept saying about Joey Moss. And I thought that was beautiful is that he just loved unconditionally. He just yeah. loved. And uh, boy, we can learn a lot from that. So Tony, this uh, this time has just flown by. I, I hope you'll come and join us again. We'll have to uh, 
I know we're, we're in the vineyard yeah. working for the Lord and it's always, like I said, it's nice to bump elbows with people and, and take a quick look up and have a chat and exchange stories and, and uh, to inspire each other to, to grow closer to God and to encourage each other on the journey. Uh, so we talked a lot about beauty. We talked about, uh, um, you know, some of the things that we can do to, to, to get back to, to church and back to a relationship with, with Christ, uh, even just through, through other people as well. But, do you have anything that you wanted to add even just on, on how men can be leaders in our homes and, and to our families and, and how important maybe the, the sacramental life is to go back to mass and, and to, yeah, to go to confession know, and, the, and communion regularly? What are your thoughts on that? You know, you need the grace. You need the grace of the sacraments because um, you need to be transformed. That's, that's the thing. Um, and I think sometimes that's what we miss is that we, you know, so much of what we learned in school about the church was about just, you know, God loves me and no matter what, he loves me. And sure, that, that's all well and good, but it doesn't really inspire anybody to sort of greatness. And if you really want to change the world, you have to change yourself. And it's a hard, hard process. Um, we, we don't like to change ourselves. We like to make excuses for ourselves. And we like to say, well, that's who I am. That's what I'm like. Or, you know, you, you know this is me. You know, love, love me. <laughs> you know, get out of my face. And um, the fact is, it's a, everybody's, biggest responsibility I think is to look at themselves and say, what am I doing wrong? How do I stop it? And, and what, what do I do to change? And I think you have to will it. You have to be willing to say, I can be better. And you have to go, okay, how do I, how do I get better? And you have to say, God make me better. And certainly the sacraments are like, are the sort of the lifeblood of, of the strength that you need to make that happen, but you have to will it. And I think too often we, we get caught up in pious activity. You know, I'll say my prayers, I'll go to church, I'll, I'll do the things, I'll do all kinds of things. And those are all good things, but if we're only just doing them and thinking that's what it means to be holy is to like, go through the motions. I say my prayers every day and I go to church, but if it doesn't change us, what are we doing? Like if, if we're not letting it change us. And I think that's the key is that you have to let it change you because God wills that we be holy. Do we will it? That's the big question. <laughs> we, we can't be neutral. Tony, right? Sometimes we don't. Absolutely. No, we got to be moving ahead, right? If you're, Either you're moving ahead in your spiritual life or you're moving backwards. And, and that's really the true challenge of our time yeah. today is to, to not, I think a lot of people might even think that they're in neutral right now. And in fact, you're, you're going backwards. Tony, I really appreciate your time and, and sharing your insights with us again. I really wish, uh, or I really hope that uh, we'll get you back on the, the program again to, to talk a little bit more about our faith. And uh, like I said, that's what this is about is to encourage people to live the sacramental life and to, to encourage each other because I think we need a lot of encouragement now. We need to know that there's other people that are fighting the exact same battle we are. And uh, yeah. I think that's what the devil tries to do. He tries to isolate us. Right. 
But, uh, but no, I appreciate uh, your testimony so much that you're sharing your faith, Tony, and uh, look forward to chatting with you again. You know, we kind of started going down that road of talking about the principle of magnanimity, but that's the, this, the desire in our hearts for spiritual greatness, for things that are in the next life. And uh, living that sacramental life, going to confession, receiving communion often, getting into spiritual books and spiritual reading and praying together as a family. These are all things that uh, take us out of this world and take us on a path towards heaven, towards eternal glory. And that is really what this journey is all about. So uh, again, I want to thank Tony LaGrange for joining us. That was a a real uh, great conversation and certainly a blessing. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, again, everybody, I just, I'm so thankful for all the prayers and, uh, you listening to this program. I'm having such a blast doing these podcasts. And, uh, again, I appreciate all your support and look forward to putting more of this content out in the near future and uh, keep praying for me. I'm going to pray for you and Catholics, you know, the drill confession, at least three times a year, every Advent, every Lent, anytime you're in a state of mortal sin, don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening, everyone. God bless. We'll chat with you very soon.